You're listening to Season 2, Episode Number 8 of Strike the Match. Presently, missiologists and mission agencies operate from two strategic people group lists. One, the Global Unreached People Group List, representing 6,800 people groups. And two, the Global Unengaged Unreached People Group List, representing 3,000 people groups. The Global Unreached People Group List receives a high strategic priority when it comes to global disciple-making. The Global Unengaged Unreached People Group List receives an even higher strategic priority when it comes to global disciple-making. However, I believe a third list representing the highest priority is needed, one that takes into consideration the working of the Spirit among the peoples across 2,000 years of church history, a list that provides an answer to the question, among the people groups in the world today, which groups have had no known followers of Jesus in 2,000 years? So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist, Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. Earlier this year, I uh, wrote a blog post titled, Only 400 People Groups to Go? Question mark. And uh, that post uh, generated some some good interaction, good conversation related to the topic that I addressed. the The blog post was written uh, based on some ideas that I started thinking last year in the fall, I believe, of last year. And uh, one of the things that I have I've found out over the years is that anytime you uh, think that you have an idea. Uh, that uh, is new and no one else is thinking about. The truth is other people are thinking about that topic as well. Uh, I had not discussed this idea that I'm about to share with you with anyone. I kept it to myself, been thinking through it, praying over it, and as soon as I began to ask uh, a few questions to some friends of mine related to the topic, they began to reveal to me that that they, as well as a few other people, had been thinking on the same issue. And so uh, that's just a kind of a side thought that I find very, very interesting and unique in our Lord's world of how uh, his people uh, think uh, at times when they believe that they're the only people addressing a certain issue, or at least thinking a certain thinking thinking about a certain issue. So, uh, what was that issue? Well, the issue. Uh, goes back to the importance of history in our understanding of missionary activity today, specifically related to the issue of developing strategy. So, uh, in uh, in many schools uh, across uh, across the uh, North American context, but also in other parts of the world, uh, a topic that's often taught in seminaries. Uh, when I say schools, I mean seminaries, Uh, a topic that's often addressed is the topic of um, the history of Christian missions. And uh, that uh, class is uh, basically addressed from that particular tagline, the history of Christian missions. So it just looks at 2,000 years of how the gospel how the gospel expanded from uh, Jerusalem uh, to to the uttermost parts of the world, to where we are today. And uh, we, we often don't allow that line of thinking about the historical aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit uh, with uh, His church uh, to have much of a bearing on strategy 
when it comes, and here's the here's the issue, when it comes to reaching unengaged, unreached people groups. So uh, let me kind of unpack that a little bit, and let me talk about this issue about why I think that the notion of history, the history of the church, and missionary strategy today, so thinking backwards and thinking forwards, how these two areas need to be uh, integrated with one another uh, to a level that we have not been uh, involved in connecting those two in uh, in any time that I'm aware of. Uh, we typically think about history of Christian missions and leave it there in the past. Uh, what are some principles we can learn from those that have gone before us? And that's about the extent of it. Um, and we take those principles to to bear on our contemporary practices. But I think that there is another issue, another issue related to reaching unengaged, unreached people groups that that we have failed to see and think about uh, in uh, in the latter part of the 20th century and then this first part of the 21st century. So so let me start by by just kind of tossing out this this question. Uh, we've got a world with well over 7 billion people. Wh- where do we begin our disciple-making activities? And so asking and responding to that question is, is a matter of spirit-guided uh, kingdom stewardship. And so one of the, one of the tools that has uh, been given to the church, I think it's a blessing of God, uh, and yes, of course, like all tools, and all blessings that can be abused, uh, but I am not ready to go there at this point in time. That's kind of another topic. Uh, I think that uh, one of the tools that's a blessing uh, given by God to His Spirit uh, has been the development of a knowledge of who are the the peoples that live across the world. So, so we know, uh, for example, uh, when we read Revelation chapter seven verses nine through ten. John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude uh, that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, uh, standing before the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Uh, so we, we, we know from reading Revelation that that is going to be a reality uh, in, in heaven that uh, peoples from, uh, from all locations, tribes, uh, languages uh, will be there. But this tool has, has allowed us to, to study and understand, all right, who, who are the, the, the peoples, uh, people groups, if you will, that, that reside on planet Earth uh, today? How do they break down ethnically and, and, and linguistically? How, how do they break, break down when it comes to, to, to those areas of understanding their identities? That we know, uh, we know that, uh, that you don't just look at the world and you don't just say, okay, well, because there are X number of countries or nations, political, geopolitical, uh, nation states across the world, that therefore uh, those 200 plus or uh, you know, that number's always changing. It's just under 200. I can't remember right off the top of my head. But that number, we know that there are more uh, peoples in the world, tribes, languages, uh, people groups, than just those that are represented by a single count of a, of a political nation state on the map. In other words, the United States is one single country. 
But within the United States, uh, there are there are hundreds of people groups that break down along tribal lines, language lines, uh, cultural lines, if you will, and. Um, and the same is true for other countries across the world. So, so the tool of being able to study and understand people groups has been a blessing. And we've, we've in evangelical circles, have, have been aware of that tool, that resource for, for some time. Uh, that tool has allowed us to develop at least a couple of lists. One list is the unreached people group list. In other words, uh, and, I, uh, and I'm going with the definition that uh, less than 2% evangelical uh, would be considered those that make it on that list. So uh, there's the unreached people group list, and then there is the unengaged unreached people group list that's out there. Uh, and that number, or excuse me, in that group of people, the unengaged unreached people groups, would be those that uh, are not only less than 2% uh, evangelical, 2% followers of, of Jesus, but... Uh, no one is engaging them with an intentional church planning strategy. And so what do we have today on planet Earth? Well, we know that the unreached peoples of the world, that list is roughly around 6,800 groups. 6,800 groups make up that list. And within that 6,800, we know that there is an estimated uh, 3,000 groups that would be considered unengaged, meaning that no one is engaging them with an intentional church planning strategy. And so why have these developed? Well, they have developed to help us to understand who are the hidden peoples of the world, who are the peoples that are not being reached with the gospel, being baptized and being taught to obey all that Christ commanded. And these lists allow us to have some guidance to help us understand how to, to allocate kingdom resources and be wise stewards. Because, again, we're looking at over 7 billion people. So what was the question that I asked just a moment ago? You know, where should we begin our disciple-making activities? And, you know, and, you know unless there is a very clear, hey, you, know, you go to Macedonia, uh, come over to Macedonia to help us. Uh, and, and even with that calling, you know, Macedonia was a region. Paul and his, Silas and the team ends up in, in Philippi, a leading port city. Um you know, unless we have something that's specific, and I do believe the Spirit works in those ways, uh, and is very specific, uh, we, we have Jesus' words to us. Go into all the world, all right? Go into all the world and make disciples of, of, of all nations. And so where do you begin? Well, as wise kingdom stewards, we, we have to recognize we've been giving, given a limited amount of resources. We've been given a limited amount of time and people and energy and effort. Uh, we, we have uh, a planet as, such as the one we live on. We have over 7 billion people. We have these 6,800 groups, so they should obviously get a priority because they're, they're unreached. Uh, they should obviously have a priority because we do not see um, much gospel presence, even gospel access, uh, churches that are intentionally seeking to engage them with the gospel, uh, and to see them become, and this is a key to the Great Commission, see them become fruit-bearing disciples in contextualize local churches. And so um, so we ask the question, well, where do we begin? And so we begin to think about, okay, let's prioritize, and I agree with this, we prioritize according to whether or not they're on a listing of unengaged, unreached people groups. So, so now that's just backstory, and I know that many of you that are listening are familiar with that. But it's important for me to to give that backstory, to give a little bit of back, uh, that backdrop for where I am now going to go. So, I want you to follow my thoughts here for a second, and that is, uh, we live in the moment 
at, 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 at the present, so to speak. In other words, when we think about uh, life and ministry, when we think about engaging the peoples of the world and making disciples of all nations, we, we live in the moment, and we rarely, we rarely consider history uh, when it comes to the mission of God and, and how that mission in history relates to God's mission in contemporary missionary strategy. So, so we read of these unreached people groups, and we read of these unengaged unreached people groups, and we assume, all right, we, we, re- we live in the moment, and so we read these lists, and we assume that believers have never existed among those who presently do not have any known believers or who are presently on these lists. We, we, we just assume. We look at those lists, and we assume that, that okay, they're there been never there never been any believers among them, or if there uh, if there are, maybe there there are very few, and and we we assume that the existence of believers is only a present thing. In other words, we don't we don't think back in history about what has the Spirit done before we were born. I mean that's that's the that's kind of the joke in in many uh, uh, missiological circles when we talk about the history of uh, of Christian mission and teaching teaching the history of, of missions uh, is that we, we kind of have this running joke that most people in our churches today and I would even say many uh, folks that are engaged in missionary activity uh, to to a very uh, high level don't consider much about the importance of history. And, and so we, we, we have this joke about uh, the fact that uh, people think that, okay, there's the Bible, there's 2,000 years ago, uh, we know about that history, uh, and then something happened you know, around, I don't know, the 16th century or so, there's some guy named Luther or somebody that came onto the scene, and he was, a, he was a, uh, someone who protested something, Protestant Reformation started. Oh, and then you fast forward, there's some guy called Billy Graham who comes onto the scene, and then there's us. And I mean that's almost the extent of our understanding of uh, of Christian history. You know, first century church, uh, Protestant Reformation, Billy Graham, and then here we are. And and we don't think about much of anything else. So let me give you an example. Um, here's a practical example uh, to help us think and recognize that the Spirit uh, who is at work today is not limited to just the present. He has been at work. He's been at work for 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 two thousand years. He's been at work uh, even before that. Uh, that God was at work before the foundation of the world. And so, uh, let me give you a practical example. So let's take let's take the country of Yemen, if you will. So so Yemen. So in Yemen today, we're looking at I think it's around twenty nine million people in that country. So those 29 million people are, are divided up into 17 people groups. So 17 people groups make up the country of Yemen. Now, all of those people groups, so all 17 of those people groups, are considered unreached. They're considered unreached. Less than 2% of those uh, that would make up the population of Yemen are followers of Christ. Now, out of those 17, out of those 17 people groups, 15, 15 of those groups are considered unengaged Unreached, so no intentional church planning strategy, as I mentioned a moment ago, and and so so we look at those lists, we see that information, but here's what most of us do not know, here's what most of us are not aware of, and that is that in the church history, in the history of 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 the church, there was a time when there was a very strong Christian presence in the country of Yemen. 
that there was uh, very much uh, the thinking of Yemen being sort of a, a Christian kingdom, if you will. And, and so we, we forget about that. We forget about asking the question, well, all right, so several centuries ago, was there a time where there were people who had repented of their sin, placed their faith in Jesus, and they were seeking to follow the commands of Jesus, living those out in, in, in their local global understanding at the, that point in time? We don't often think about that. Now, let me pause here for a second, because uh, some of you will come back to that illustration, some of you will come back to that example, and you're going to take what I'm about to say as, well, okay, well, J.D. is saying, or he's getting ready to say, uh, that he believes that the Great Commission is finished for Yemen. And no, I am not saying that at all. The Great Commission is not about making converts only. That's part of it. The evangelism aspect begins. How do you make disciples? Well, it starts with evangelism. But the Great Commission doesn't end with evangelism. So the whole notion, as uh, my friend David Seals uses in the title of his book, Reaching and Teaching, the whole notion of the Great Commission is about just that, reaching them and teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded, and to teach them obedience within the context of local expressions of the universal body of Christ, the local church. So I'm not saying that the Great Commission is finished in Yemen, but, but here's something that I want us to think about. We often look at Yemen and we think, okay, well, there's, there's, never, been, there's never been much, and Yemen just one example, there's never been much of a harvest. Uh, or uh, here's a country, or there's a country, or here's a people group, or there's a people group, and, um, and we don't know of any believers living among them. But, but what, what if? What if we go back in the history of the church and we realize, we find out, that actually there was a harvest that came in 300 years ago? Or 500 years ago. In other words, how does the fact that the mission of God was being carried out in a particular or among a particular people in a particular location of the world, how does that fact that God's Spirit was at working bringing people into the kingdom and they were becoming fruit bearing disciples within local churches, how does that affect the fact of our missionary activity today? When we look around and we see, in many cases, no known believers or very few known believers and no local churches, we cannot, we cannot rule out the work of the Spirit in the past and, and what He has, has done and allow that to be separated from our missionary strategy and activity today. So, let me continue to kind of un unpack this a little bit more and kind of try to explain a little bit more in detail. So so last fall, uh, so this would have been uh, last uh, fall 2015, as I mentioned a moment ago, I, I, I ran these some of these thoughts about the importance of history affecting where we go and how we give priority uh, to our work in, in the you know, in the present and in the future, Lord willing. So I ran these thoughts by, by one of my friends who's a missiologist uh, with the, um, the Global Research uh, Department, the International Mission Board, Jim Haney. And um, uh, actually, Jim and I did a podcast uh, several weeks ago, several episodes actually before this one, if you want to go back and listen to it. And there's just a snippet in that podcast episode that we talk about this topic that I'm addressing in this complete episode today. So you can go back and listen to my conversation with Jim. You know, I just asked Jim just right off in an email. I just said, "Hey, here's what I'm thinking. Um, what's your estimate? You know, just just a quick estimate off the top of your head. 
that if you could look back over 2,000 years of church history uh, with, with what access we have to historical data, that's, that's a challenge. We'll come back to that in just a second. But, but, but what you know about the history of the church, um, looking back, what we would consider as best we could, I know, with contemporary understanding, but what we would consider as, as, as people that would be considered evangelical over 2,000 years of history and their practice, evangelical in their practice and you know, belief, so to speak, um, people who'd be born again, John 3, uh, what, what would be your estimate? What would be the, your estimate of those 3,000 people? Or maybe I should say those 6,800 people on the unreached people group list. Um, what would be your estimate of the number of people that in the history have had a strong gospel presence and church presence? And what would be your estimate of those that are on our list today that have, to our knowledge, never, have never had, have never experienced, never, we have no record of ever having a known believer among that particular people group, let alone a church. What would be your estimate? And so he writes back and he says that, you know, his, his immediate estimate, so obviously, you know, we haven't, he hasn't scrutinized this through, through a lot of research, but his immediate estimate was that probably about 400, 400 of the unengaged, unreached peoples in the world. So we got that list of 3,000 unengaged, unreached people groups. So probably 400 of the unengaged, unreached peoples in the world have no known single believer present and no known single believer past ever in 2,000 years. So, so what does that mean? Well, there is a big difference between sharing with the church a list of 3,000 unengaged, unreached people groups, and a list with the church of 400 that we know that there has never been one single believer among them in 2,000 years. Uh, in other words, that's, that's, that's closing a major gap. That, that, is, that is taking a step uh, in, a, in a direction that I think we've never gone before. Uh, because again, if, if our theology if our theology, <clears throat> excuse me, of the kingdom is is based on the notion of of making disciples of all nations, again reaching and teaching, uh, we know that they will be represented around the throne, uh, and we know that Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter twenty four verse fourteen, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in in the whole world uh, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Uh, we we know that that Jesus has set us forth on this this uh, this journey, uh, working toward an eschatological reality of the coming kingdom, and so we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us, and we work with a spirit who is also the spirit of history who has been working, and so when we stand in the present looking at over 7 billion people in the world. And we begin to ask, all right, with the limited resources that we have, how can we be wise kingdom stewards in seeking to make disciples of all nations? 
Where do we start? Where do we begin? And so what I'm saying is that we need to begin asking that historical question, and that is, who do we know of that's never known a believer? What group in the world uh, that we can, t- as best we can tell in, in 2,000 years of church history, uh, has, has, has always been without someone who is a follower of Christ? And then let's give priority to them. In other words, uh, we've got the unreached people group list. That's a high priority list. We've got a, a list that's of a higher priority than that list, and that's the unengaged unreached people group list. I would advocate that there is a list that needs to be higher than both of those, and that is the list of those who never had a known believer among them. And so if that estimate is around 400 people, if there are 400 people, excuse me, 400 people groups, then I would say we're, that is narrowing the gap and that that list needs to have a much higher level of priority in our missionary strategy and missionary activity. They've never, they've never known a believer. Uh, so unreached people groups, they've known a believer, or they have a believer among them. Unengaged unreached people groups, they've known a believer. They've had an, uh, a, a believer among them in their history. And so who's never, who's never had that, that experience? Now let me stop here for a second. Um, because uh, anytime you begin to talk about these matters, uh, again, as I've been talking about history here, uh, history shapes our thinking on what is being said related to these matters. And so even when I uh, wrote this blog post, uh, uh, some of the, the excellent pushback, and I would say excellent because the, those that have, have written back with some good good critique of this uh, have done so in just a, just a, a gracious uh, spirit, uh, great great brothers writing back on this topic, and, and I appreciate that because it sharpens me. Um, uh, but some of the pushback is, well, J.D., you know, you're, you're basically talking about this notion of we're just trying to get converts, and so, as long as we got one representative among that particular people group, then the Great Commission work is done there. Uh, that's not a new argument. That, that, that argument has been going on for the past few decades, and I am not going there. Let me repeat that. I am not going there. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. It has nothing to do with what I'm saying in this podcast. Um, again, let me go back. Uh, I'm being redundant here, but why am I being redundant? I'm being redundant because people uh, jump to conclusions based on the past few decades of missiological conversations related to Matthew 24 and other uh, passages and think that we're only talking about reaching people seeing converts. So I'm being redundant here. I am not talking about withholding the gospel from anyone. I'm not talking about don't go to the unreached people groups. I'm not saying don't go to the unengaged unreached people groups. I am not saying let's get one believer among this particular people group, or because we've had one believer in the 2,000 years of church history, then the Great Commission related to those people is done. It's a closed issue. No, I am not saying that at all. Why am I not saying that? Because of what I just said a few moments ago. The Great Commission is about reaching and teaching them to obey all that Christ commanded. And so please understand that. Please, please hear that. But it begins with reaching. It begins with making disciples. And so how does one become a follower of Jesus? It's through someone going to them and preaching, kind of in Acts 20, 21, repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so I'm not saying that things are done in Yemen or things are finished with or the people of Yemen or things are finished with the peoples of that country or this country or whichever country you, you prefer or because there was a country that, that had a strong gospel presence and church presence uh, six centuries ago, therefore uh, we shouldn't be concerned about them today. No, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying, here it is, is an issue related to strategic priority based on eschatological realities and kingdom stewardship based on what we see in the scriptures related to the preaching of the gospel, the making of the disciples of all nations that Jesus is calling us to, and based on being wise kingdom stewards, realizing that the church is bigger than those of us that are alive today, that there's a history behind what we are doing today, realizing that there is also a pneumatological reality, that the spirit of mission did not just start working when you and when me, when I, uh, when others, um, you and me, there's my grammar, <laughs> when we, how about that, when we, uh, the spirit didn't just start working when we decided that we need to go and preach the gospel. The spirit has been working before we were born. And so we've got to recognize that there's a history there that once we fail to, to observe and learn, obviously, the principles and methods of those that have gone before us, yes, that's the history of Christian mission class. But when we fail to realize where the Spirit has worked to bring about disciples, where the Spirit has worked to bring about the birth of churches in history, even if we cannot find those today, we cannot write that off and say, well, that's not important. That is, that is an unimportant issue. We, we have to let that bear into the fact, as kingdom stewards standing in the 21st century with this gospel treasure, with these, these, this mystery of God, that we need to be wise stewards. And so if we know, if we know that there are 400 people groups in the world, or that's our estimate, of course, and, and we know that there has never been a known believer among them, then what would it say? What would it say about our convictions based on biblical eschatology, based on biblical stewardship, based on the wisdom, the wisdom that we see that God gives to his children? What would it say to us if we know that's a reality in our world and we fail to give the highest priority to, to, to groups that we know have never experienced, never known anyone among them to have been born again. What would it say to us? What would it say about us? What would it say about our missionary thinking? And so I lay that out to you today in this podcast, in this episode, to, to, to wrestle and begin thinking through some of these things. Uh, the the wise kingdom citizen knows the word of God. Uh, the wise kingdom citizen knows the times that we're aware of of our times in which we live and move and experience and have our being. But we also we also have to be wise kingdom stewards, wise kingdom citizens when it comes to the issue of the history of the working of God across people throughout throughout the world. And so 
this conversation, this topic, is, is about strategy. It's about prioritization. It's not about neglect. It's not about withholding. It's not about, okay, we reach this person or we reach this group, someone comes to faith and we move on to someone else that's not heard. It's not that at all. Do I believe? I'll go ahead and address this. I think this is a good thing to keep in mind. Uh, you know, the, the fact that I made reference to Matthew 24 a few moments ago probably made some of you nervous. And if that's the case, then that's just silly. Uh, because Matthew 24 is God's word to his people. And so Matthew 24, verse 14, is his word to his people. And it says, The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Well, what does that mean? Exactly what it says. When the gospel of the kingdom is preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, the end will come. And we've got to embrace that. Now, does that mean that we have everything right with the number of unreached people groups? Uh, I'm not saying that. Uh, Does that mean that as soon as the the last person, the last elect, if you will, comes to faith, then Jesus comes back? I'm not saying that either. Uh, Again, partially because, uh, well, two reasons. Well, one, when we look throughout Old Testament and even New Testament prophecy, we see that often the people of God... Um, got it wrong in interpreting uh, what the prophets were saying as far as what they thought it was going to mean. Uh, But that's another podcast for another time. Uh, But number two, the Great Commission. Again, what did I say a few moments ago? Again, I'm being redundant on purpose, and that is it's not about just seeing someone make a profession of faith. It's about teaching them to obey all that Christ commanded. And and so, who, who, who knows? Maybe that last person comes to faith, and Jesus doesn't come back for, for, for decades. Or maybe, who knows? Um, or, or even longer than that. Uh, it's about reaching, teaching obedience, seeing them continue to carry out this mission. So uh, I know I, I, you know, I kind of digressed there at the end, but, but I know that some of you, because I know that some of you have, in response to some of my writings, I know that some of you are thinking about that issue related to Matthew 24, so I wanted to throw it in there to help kind of clarify some of the things. Um, but, you know, this, this is a topic that I have recently started thinking about, and I've not done a lot of research on. Uh, I know other people are thinking about this, and uh, and so this is, this is a, uh, I think, a significant issue. I think it's very critical and a very important topic. And... Um, and at the same time, it's one that I think we need to begin talking more and thinking more along those lines in days to come. I said I was going to make a comment on the history issue, uh, gaining information, uh, historical data about people groups of the world. Uh, there's, there's a limitation to what I'm saying. Uh, there, I'm sure there are other limitations, but the one that immediately comes to my mind is the limitation of, of gathering the historical data. Now, in some places of the world, we, we do have we do have historical data that is available if we're willing to go digging for it to be able to find out based on uh, accounts uh, whether or not there were people who were following Jesus, professing faith in Jesus, they were regenerate uh, and uh, were seeking to to live out the the commands of Christ. We we have that information on on different people groups in the world today. However, uh, I am sure some of the historical records don't exist. Uh, some of the uh, accounts are, are very uh, nebulous. 
some of the accounts are, well, you know, uh, there, uh, there's a large history of, of the, 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 the church, uh, the Catholic Church, particularly Christianizing, Christianizing different peoples, and, and uh, a lot of those people were not regenerate. And, and, and when we get into that conversation, I know that's a reality out there. Christianization and making disciples of all nations is two separate categories. I hope you, you recognize that in, in what I've been saying just in this podcast. Um, so I, I'm not talking about the Christianization of people. I'm talking about regenerate church membership across history. So I know that, that some of the information, some of the data that's out there that exists is, um, is related to uh, strong Christian presence, but that doesn't necessarily mean believers, doesn't necessarily mean followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ. So I understand that there are limitations in the historical research. However, we're not going to know if this is a possibility of helping out our contemporary strategic planning through the leadership of the Spirit uh, and being wise kingdom stewards if we do not begin to go back in history and look and use it as a guide. These things aren't hard and fast. They're tools. I said that at the beginning. They're, they're tools to assist us in, in the Spirit's uh, working through us to make disciples of all nations. So, so I want to encourage some of you. Some of you know folks that, uh, that love to study history. Uh, you, you know a budding Ph.D. student. Some of you are, are professors, uh, and you're looking for some good research topics. You know, these, these would be some, some things that I would, I would challenge you to think through, uh, thinking about the issue of, of historical research bearing on uh, the mission of God in different parts of the world and how that can impact our strategic planning uh, in seeking to reach the peoples of the world uh, when, um, when we're carrying out the Great Commission in our day and time. Uh, I hope I haven't rambled too much. <laughs> I can do that. I can I can definitely chase rabbits uh, during uh, podcast times. And my students, when I was in the classroom, they they would know that we'd do some rabbit chasing as well. Uh, but I hope that this um, this podcast episode has been beneficial to you, to your thinking. Hope it's hope it's generated some thoughts in your mind. Uh, as always, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, track me down. Uh, shoot me a, an email. Jpainbrookhills dot org or uh, you can find me actually that'd probably be the best because I'm, I'm a terrible facebook friend and and uh, social media guy when it comes to responding that way i'm still old school email there you go old school email um but um i also hope that you will take maybe some of these thoughts and begin to talk uh, in your circles in your circles of influence and uh and begin getting some conversation going along along these lines i know some of you are, are leading mission agencies and some of you are uh are missiologists uh not only in north america but in other parts of the world i i hope and pray that um that this uh, conversation will be beneficial to you in in what you're doing to to lead out uh in seeking to make disciples of all nations as well so uh lord willing until next time thanks for tuning in and checking this out bye You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpayne.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.